Let's stand. The prophetic word came to Bethany. Her, she had been prayer walking Bradford College, believing for a revival in New England and a student volunteer missions movement. A prophet, whoever from Bethel, came up to her, didn't know her, and said the crossroads of the student volunteer missions movement is in Bradford College. It's a place where you put your feet, but it will take place through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the universities of Boston. He knows nothing that that's what's going on in her mind. Folks, these kinds of prophetic words are not just nice prophetic words. They give you, they actually, prophetic words actually are given to put a responsibility on you to give birth to that thing. I don't want a prophetic word unless I'm going to be responsible to take, to actually pray that into being. This word should drive us in a godly way to lay hold of faith in which we say we will never let this go come hell or high water. This is our promise. And therefore, for the next 40 days, we revisit the promise and we hammer it again over and over and over on the battering rams, with battering rams of intercession. And we use the prophetic words as battering rams. We use the scriptures as battering rams. When Derek Prince says that when Boston, who is the Jericho of America, when its intellectualism falls out of Boston, the whole nation will be swept into revival. Now, Derek Prince, Derek Prince was my, has been my mentor. I've only met him one time, but he mentored me through a book called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. I don't do fasting because it's a good idea. I do fasting because it shapes history. <laughs> and today, Derek Prince is in heaven and he's saying, come on, son. You're in my town and you're in my prophecy right now. Bradford College is in that prophecy. You're responsible to see the student missions movement break out. All of, your name is Zion, but you're really North Point, but you're really Zion. And Zion isn't a name of a college. It's an assembly room in heaven where you do business with God. That's who you are. Lift your hands and pray like Koreans do in Boston. I want you to pray the promise, Lord. We pray the promise of a great student volunteer missions movement. We remind you of your appointments in New England of another great awakening. God, we believe for the great grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards. We refuse the counsel of despair that it's too dark. We declare the promises of God are yes and amen. And today we add our amen to your yes. Bring these things forth even in these 40 days. We, we contend for the promises of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, they would be worth it just for this. I could sit down and you just got a message. During the outpouring, stay standing. You're not tired. Stay standing. I want to, listen. And Joseph had a dream that he ruled the world. And it took him 13 years of hell to get to the promise. But the promise was meant to be fulfilled. He will not fasten your soul to a dead end vision. 
You don't give up your promises when you go to the pit where you go to Potiphar's house or where you go to prison. You hold on to the promise. And I was pondering it this morning as we were worshiping. Why should we read about Joseph and say that's a cool story and not believe the dreams that we have and not believe that he's just a prototype of every one of our lives. I had a dream, not a dream, whatever it was. During the revival, outpouring of the Spirit in the 90s in California, I went up to a place up in Bakersfield, California, preaching to a youth group. I'd never been there. I didn't know the kids. I just had met the youth pastor. I went up there, and this was going to be my message. I was going to preach to them that God is going to show mercy to the youth of America because of the great, 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 great grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards. Do you know who he is? Father of the first grade awakening. That was going to be my message, and I was going to tell them that just like David remembered his covenant with Jonathan, he showed mercy to Mephibosheth, a broken and crippled generation. They didn't deserve it, but because they're the sons and daughters of a covenant, he was going to show mercy. And I was going to say, and God remembers the covenant that Jonathan Edwards made with him. And he's going to remember the great-grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards, and he's going to show mercy to a broken generation. I told nobody I was going to preach on that morning. Right before I got up to preach, this kid walks up to me. Looks like Mephibosheth. <laughs> and he says, hey, Mr. Ringle, I just found out this week I'm the great, 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 great grandson of Jonathan Edwards. Now, you might clap and say it's a cool story. For me, it's a promise. And I remind him of that promise over and over and over again. Father, we pray for a third great awakening. Come out of New England. Let it come out in the place they said it couldn't happen. Do it again, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I showed that video of the Ekbalo because I wanted to show it. I'm not preaching on it, but I believe that out of New England is going to come one of the greatest awakenings in student missions movements. But God, Jesus said, when he saw the harvest, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to ekbalo laborers. The word is Greek. It's not the normal word for send. It's the word ekbalo, which means to hurl or, or, or throw forth. When you pray, Lord of the harvest, hurl forth laborers into Iraq and Iran and Syria, into ISIS. Hurl forth laborers into northern India where there are more people groups, hidden people groups than anywhere in the whole world. Hurl forth laborers into the Himalayas and into Tibet. That's the burden of our master's heart. He's not saying, well, just send forth a few laborers. It is, he is passionate for this thing. And I want to just call this company to take this prayer on your lips day after day after day after day. Make God tired. That's biblical. Wake him up at midnight. Lord of the harvest. Ekbalo labors into the harvest field. I got a book here. I give it to you, man. Hand of God's on you. My wife turned to me and said, that hand of God is on that young man. I believe you're going to give a generation identity. You're a son of God and you know it. You're going to speak to a generation that has no identity. God is going to call you to give identity to a generation. And it will be a widespread message. Hallelujah. Turn with me. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. I mean uh, Psalm chapter 8. You can tell I'm not a teacher. Psalm chapter 8. It's okay. I think we're, I think we're all right. I'm I'm getting a little blinder in my old age and need it real close. That's great, thank you. Verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, man is the measure of all things. Someone said amen. I love you. Man is the measure of all things. Well, that's what Harvard would like you to believe. Turn with me to Matthew 16. <laughs> I'll go back to Matthew 8 later on. Oh, sorry, I just needed to die a little bit. It's okay. No one, don't worry about it. Don't worry about this guy. I was struck again with the motto of Harvard. I saw it in your pamphlet or whatever that is. That is awesome pamphlet. What, the, the magazine that you have for your church, it's like a magazine, man. It's, it's revelatory. And there again, I see, uh, I see the motto of Harvard, which is Veritas. But the motto wasn't, first of all, Veritas. It was Veritas Christo et Ecclesia. The original motto of Harvard, you know this if you're from this area, or maybe you don't. I know that it was, first of all, truth for Christ and the church. But they happened to, to get rid of Christ in the church and have truth, which is no truth, for Christ is truth himself. <laughs> they removed Christ in the church. Today I want to preach on putting back Christ in the church in the motto of Harvard. Not a word or a few words, but the actuality of what they were removing so that we know what's going to be replacing it. And that's from Matthew 16. Here we go. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Boston, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? You can hear a million ideas here in New England of who he is, just like they could those days. They said, well, some said John the Baptist, other Elijah. Some said he was just a new age guy. Other night, I know he didn't, but Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, let me just give you the context. He's just been in Judea, and he's making, he's making his way to, to Galilee, and suddenly he makes a course change and walks 30 miles north into the east to Caesarea Philippi. Jesus isn't into just hiking, though you may be. 
He knew what he was about. He wasn't just taking a nice little trip to go down to the ocean at Caesarea Philippi. He was about to give a graphic illustration to his disciples and to us of where his church, where they would be sent to and be the most effective. He sends them to Caesarea Philippi, and you've got to understand this. There in Caesarea Philippi, there is a 500-foot wall of stone a rock, so to speak. And there in that stone, in that huge uh, rock, there are shrines to the god Pan. There were shrines to the Caesars. It's, I just looked the photograph up there. It's huge, this place. Broken down temples. And in the, in the wall are these indentations where they would do their shrine worship and all. And in this rock, there was actually a cave in those days where water came out of the cave and they, they believed it was an entrance to the underworld and they called it the gates of Hades. You get the context? A huge rock, 500 feet long, 100 feet high, and Jesus could have, and I believe he did, he brought his disciples to this place in a graphic illustration. And he was going to set the stage for, I believe, where we now stand and God's faith and our faith that God can challenge every hellhole through a green prayer. He goes there and he says, he says, who do you say that I am? I don't have much time to go into all this. He said, Jesus said, and Simon Peter answered, you are the. Does it sound familiar? In the motto, Christo Ecclesia. He says, blessed are you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to my, my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my... Thank you, David. My church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Notice... He doesn't say some things. He's basically saying whatever things. The dimensions of prayer in the Bible are almost like, what's the word? He signed his signature to every promise and he's waiting for an earth being to sign the second signature. The promises of prayer are, are so unbelievable that it's almost like there's no prayer that he won't answer that's according to his will. He simply says, ask, and it will be given to you. It's outrageous, the promises of God and the dimensions that he basically lays out when he talks about prayer. Folks, something's wrong <laughs> that the gates of Hades are not trembling. He said this, though, that he was going to build something. I've started to pray. God, build what you promised you would build. He did not say, first of all, I want to just say, first of all, Three dimensions of revelation come here. He's trying to kick us up into a new dimension. He says, first of all, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And Peter says, you're the son of God. Notice, 
It's not son of man. He's basically saying, do you only see me as a man or the Christ, the anointed one? The Messiah, who is the Psalms to God, I've installed my anointed one, my Messiah, on his holy mountain science. Basically, Jesus is waiting for the moment when he can get this revelation into his disciples that he is the Christ, the ruling God of the universe, the dominator. How's that for a name? The dominator. I usually lose part of this, you know, this domination, dominion company. Well, I don't believe full dominion's coming until Christ returns. But until then, the church is to be about his ruling business. Genesis 1, 26, the first word that he says about man is this. And he created a male and female in the image of God. He created them. And he said, let us make man in our own image and get, and, and may, how does it go? And let them rule. Man, by his very nature in the image of God, is meant to be a ruler. In the fall, his image, the image of God was marred. And in the fall, man lost dominion to Satan. But the second Adam came in, restored us into that Adamic calling. Into the... into the second Adamic calling and now has seated us with Christ in heavenly places in a governmental fellowship around the throne. He is restoring rulership and it starts with the revelation. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. When the kings of the earth take stand and and they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, that's the word in Greek, is Christo. So when he's saying Thou art the Christ. He's actually saying, you're the guy that the world is raging against. That's the guy that the professors of Harvard are trying to remove. But he says, I've installed my king on his holy mountain Zion. See, when the kings of the earth take counsel, God says, I got another council room where my throne is in heaven. And there I gather my people to Zion and they rule in the council assembly of heaven through prayer and worship. I felt like the Lord just gave me a word and I I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. But when the worship and praise went off today, I felt like God spoke to me at passage. Well, can you just remind me? I don't want to go there yet. I believe this, this calling of this church is praise. To silence. To silence the foe and the avenger. Let me go on. How much we need a revelation of the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've preached this. If Peter and the first apostolic age needed a revelation of Christ, the Son of the living God, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it. I need a revelation that flesh and blood. Oh, you could talk about Christ the ruler, but oh, when we begin to have encounters with that man, Christ Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, the church's real home is not on the earth. His feet are on the earth, but his heart is in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places. This is our real home. So why should we try to get everything we can get out of this world when we are created for an eternal world? The fact is, where we rule here, Jesus then says, because you've ruled here, I'll make you a ruler over two cities. That the degree we rule here is the degree we will rule in heaven. And the rulership is 
And the throne of God is actually surrounded with enemies. I'm going to go to Psalm 110 in a moment because Psalm 110 is not a nice little name for a little thing where you're gathering college students to worship God. <laughs> it's a revolution. That's what it is. And I talk about that. Oh, help me, Lord. Okay. Would you hold your hands up and say, God, give me a revelation of the Christ, the Son of the living God. Reveal Jesus. Begin to explode with a revelation of Christ. That Peter God. I want to know the Christ of Psalm 2. I want to know the Christ of Psalm 110. I want to know the Christ that lives inside of me. That governs my body. Governs my decision. Oh, living God, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Oh, I can imagine He's, he's pulling him out. What do you say that I, the son of man, in? Am I just a, am I just a man? And boom, something goes off in Peter. Oh, no, you're the son of the living God. In the face of all these demonic gods on this rock and all their shrines, all these dead gods, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In the face of all these ideologies, And you've got to go back to your roots. I came here to Boston in 2001 after half a million young people gathered to fast and pray in D.C. And I had a dream. Cindy Jacobs, that prophetic crazy lady. In the dream, I was with her. And seven, six or five or six other guys were with him. And I knew that one guy... One of these disciples of Cindy Jacobs, which means she is a general of intercession. One of the disciples had broken through to a great breakthrough. And these other six were being prepared for great breakthroughs. And then I saw Cindy and I were playing tennis together, which I never did understand. Until the call New York where we played at the U.S. Open place, the tennis open. And she said to me, Lou, it's about the battle over the courts. It's the courts of God and the courts of man where the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. I've installed my son on his holy mountain Zion and God says, son, this is how you're going to rule these guys. Ask me, I'll give you nations as your inheritance. No better place to ask for the nations in Boston. Jesus had been praying that prayer for 2,000 years. Is it a time that someone signs their signature to his and starts asking out of Boston, give us the nations, every tribe, every tongue. It's time for the church to agree in agreeing prayer. The head in heaven is praying it, but earth has got to pray it because he gave the earth to the kingdom of men. If men don't rule, he's not going to rule. He's not going to take our place. He's training us on the job training for rulership in the millennial kingdom. And he rules through asking. Well, I forgot where I was. Aren't the Christ the son of the living God? Huh? Yeah, the Cindy Jacobs. The Lord's, I, I woke up. And the Lord said, no one's targeting false ideologies with massive fasting and prayer. That the one had broken through was the call DC for the ending of abortion. And I tell you, abortion is being shaken in America. It's been 10 years of intercession with the Justice House of Prayer there in DC, a contending house of prayer. And I make a distinction because sometimes we just want feel-good houses of prayer. 
When I launched a house of prayer in 1997, that was the, was the roots of everything I've done. It was on a 40-day fast with day and night intercession, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, went three years with a few holes in it. <laughs> of course, I slept quite a, time, a few times in my shift. But God loved it anyway and gave me dreams, gave us dreams. And in this dream, one, one, uh, actually my friend had the dream of a Buddhist house of prayer on top of a Christian house of prayer. And the Christian house of prayer does a reversal and begins to dominate the Buddhist house of prayer. And the Lord spoke to me, raise up a house of prayer that challenges Islamic house of prayer. Raise up a house of prayer. that Listen, we have prayer meetings. They have a prayer culture. Maybe we should, as I've said many times, maybe we should actually... Judge church growth by how many are in the prayer meeting. And there are 120 in the upper room. Those are the ones that opened up heaven. Everyone else was a looky-loo. Oh, that the prayer meetings would be burning in Boston. Over this next 40-day fast, I, I, I just, God, how am I going to do this? I just want to remind us of our 40 days in 2006 where we prayed 40 days challenging, if I could say, through the victory of the cross. We didn't know what we were doing, still don't, but we were challenging the prince of Persia and Iran during the days because they were raging. That fast swept around the world, 40 days of fasting. Do you know what's going on in Iran today? The most massive church growth with the most wicked regime, there is a massive revival going on. In, and I felt like the Lord says, it's the answer to those prayers of 40 days here in Boston. I say, why not for the next 40 days? Why don't we pray that God would shake ISIS? That massive conversion. We had a dream about it. 40 days again in Boston for the student missions movement, for the third great awakening. And pray, God, shake ISIS. Convert those guys. Why not? We've got such a small vision of prayer. We pray for hangnails and Fred and Sue. Thank God for Fred and Sue. If you're Fred, God bless you. If you're Sue, don't sue me. Shut up. He says this. With this revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the God. I am, I am on my throne, he's basically saying. I rule over the whole earth. From that revelation, Jesus says to him, Oh, I, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Thank you, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal it. But my father in heaven and you're Peter. This is what I think happened. I think an explosion went off in the heart of Jesus because he got the revelation that was needed for what he was going to build. He is not secondary God to the new age gods. He's not a secondary God to the ideologies of the shifting church. He's not a second God to sexual ideologies. He's not a, shift. He's not a second God to the gods of humanism. I tell you what, he says, be warned, you kings, tremble, you judges of the earth. Kiss the sun. I'll break you like pottery, folks. Don't give in to this shifting tide of ideologies because the Bible says you're at war with those ideologies. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are pulling down speculations and thought systems. Then why would we agree with them? 
Why would we make alliances with that? It's not the word of God and the truth of God. If you're shifting on this issue, on the word of God, then you are shifting into the season of delusion. The Bible says this, I will send upon them a spirit of delusion because they did not have a love for the truth. This whole sliding on sexual issues is the beginning of a massive deception and you won't even know that you were swept into it because you're deceived. It's because you love the truth, which is the Bible, the word of God. Harvard, it's truth through Christo and Ecclesia. It's time to put Christ at the center of the motto again. The ruling body over Harvard professors, political leaders. I think Jesus erupted and he says, he says, you are Peter. I think he exploded. He says, oh, with this revelation, I tell you, you are Peter. Peter means Petros. The word rock is Petra, uh, Petra, which means like Gibraltar. I am the Gibraltar and you're a piece of the rock. Having known who I am, I'm identifying who you are. You are a piece of the rock. You're a ruler with me. That's what he's saying. I want to put identity back in the church. You are the sons of God. You are the sons of God. It's time to throw down accusations. These accusations of the devil always keeping us smaller than we really are. I know. I, be, I believe that we were once wicked and sinners and we still, you know, have issues. <laughs> but in Christ, we are a new creation. And you will never conquer your sins by always remaining sin conscious. You will conquer your sins by knowing that you've been passed from death into life as a new creation in Christ. You are the sons of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are prepared as an eternal companion forever and ever and ever. You are the cosmic family of God. No other human being is like you because in the new birth you were begotten. You were born, not by the will of man, not by the will of anything else, but the will of God. And to you, he's given you the right to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe in his, there's coming a last day's manifestation of the sons of God who walk in his character, who walk in his authority and love. And they will release the manifestation, not of themselves, but Christ in them, the hope of glory. The problem is we don't know who he is and we don't know who we are. So we live under accusations and he batters us over and over. And I had a dream the other night and in this dream I was in this room, 50 hostages, we were all taken hostage by this terrorist dude and he was coming down the line basically picking someone out that he could go after and of course he goes after me. <laughs> That's happened quite a bit. Puts his gun in my face and he's raging against me. He's got me on his back and I could feel the terror. And then something arose inside of me in the dream. And I began singing, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. I bind you, Satan. I woke up because the day before false accusations had come against me that was sending me into a tailspin, so to speak. And the Lord said, son, this is how you war against accusations. Put praise in your mouth. Bind Satan and don't agree with the devil anymore of who you are. Agree with your son, with the son of God, that you are his beloved son. He says, upon this revelation thou art the Christ, I am telling you, that's who you are, son. You are, 
the end of history is that we would all be conformed to the image of his sons. He wants to bring many sons to glory. That's what the suffering's about, not to make you miserable, but to conform you to the image of his son. Don't waste your sorrows. Recognize that the dark days of your story are not the last days. Ask, ask Joseph. You are Peter. And upon this rock, I think he's upon the unchanging revelation of who I am, my truth, the word of God. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against upon this rock. But I have a feeling he took him and his disciples, those 12 20-year-old guys. Sometimes I think of the disciples as guys with beards, you know, Peter, like 40 or something like that. They were your age, dude. Just young dudes hanging with Jesus. <laughs> Just the hippies. Harvard students and Zion students with bow ties on. <laughs> Nobody's. And he said, this is who you are. You're the sons of God. And he says, I wouldn't doubt if he's suddenly standing there and he says, and upon this rock, but maybe he would have been saying, pointing at the rock of the gods is what it was called. The rock of the gods in the gates of Hades. Upon this rock of Harvard, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades. Upon this rock of Buddhism, I will build my ecclesia. Upon this rock of Hinduism, I will, upon this rock of racism, I will build my... Could he have said... Listen, do you guys want to just hide? I tell you, you'll never hide. I'm taking you into the hell holes. The pan worship was sex trafficking off the church. I'm going to send you into the traf the sex trafficking hell holes of the earth. And I'm going to build my ecclesia. And I'm going to challenge sex trafficking. I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge homosexuality ideologies. Oh, now you get mad at me, but the fact is, I believe there's coming such a radical conversion movement that people would be transformed in a day. Politics can't change a man, but Christ can change him to the uttermost. This 40 days, we're praying and fasting for 100,000 gay and lesbian men and women to be saved and transformed by the power of God. They become the witnesses of Christ's victory in the cross. We're not pointing the finger in anger. We're not building a stone wall in anger. We're building a wailing wall where we're carrying names to Jesus. I've seen testimonies of it. There's an outbreak of salvations breaking out in Ohio where the gay Olympics were. And the gay Olympians are getting saved and converted. Testimonies are springing up. Folks, we refuse the testimony of despair. Well, it's all going down. This is just the end of the age. That's what matters. I tell you, until the end of the age, I will go down standing with Christ. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. From this revelation of who Christ is, and the revelation that who we are in him. He says, I'm giving you a new revelation of what I'm going to build. And he didn't say that I will build my church. Now don't throw rocks at me. Don't throw rocks at me. Listen to me out here. 
I'm not in a diatribe to stop having you use the name church. I'm trying to redeem the true word that Jesus used. The word church is not in the Greek. In fact, the word church came from a Scottish name, Kirke, which meant the house of the Lord, Kyrios Oikos, which means the place where the house, where the people meet. I asked my kids the other day, two of my sons, hey, Jacob, what's the church? He said, it's a building. I've taught him well. <laughs> my 13-year-old, hey, Samuel, what's the church? Mott. <laughs> we go to a place called Mott Auditorium named after J- John R. Mott, the student volunteer missions movement. Come on, what do you think about when you say church? A family? Place of fellowship? Listen, it's not what Jesus, the word Jesus used here. You know what? A guy named Tyndale translated the word ecclesia and kept it ecclesia. And because of it, he was executed because the kings of England wanted to, to be the church. Because if it's the church, then the government is over the church. <laughs> but ecclesia, when Jesus used the word, everyone would have known. Now, in the general sense, ecclesia means assembly. Church means congregation or assembly. So in a, in a, in a, you know, people will say, well, what are you drawing straws about this? It's not that big a deal. Oh, it is a big deal because the disciples would have understood what he was really calling it. He said, I will build my ecclesia. And in the cultural understanding of that day, they would have understood that he is building a legislative body to rule. Because the ecclesia was the Greek city-state legislation that would make decisions. He said on the revelation that I am the ruler of the world and the revelation that you're a ruler with me, I am going to build something that rules that is above governments and kingdoms and Harvard and decrees and removing models. God says I'm going to put back Christo and ecclesia back in the motto, not Harvard. Anyway. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he said, I will build my ecclesia, he was distinguishing his governmental body from every other governmental. He said, it's my ecclesia. It comes by revelation. Revelation of the Christ. Revelation who you are. And then he says, I'm going to build my ruling council, my assembly. Now you have to understand from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are times when God brought the prophets kind of like a peekaboo into the heavenly council room of heaven where God rules in the council of the Bene Elohim, the sons of God. This council is, is, is scattered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and it is basically the ruling body uh, the, rule, the ruling body uh, 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 in heaven where God actually takes counsel with angelic beings to rule over his creation and bring order to nations in the earth oh glory to God angels stood in the council the Bene Elohim of the council of the Holy One They saw it. And when Jesus said, I will build my assembly, he was talking about that assembly. He's not talking about a church building. He says, I will build my assembly of Zion around my throne. Come on. Where earth beings would actually go there. When you go to church, you're not going to church. You're going to the assembly. 
Folks, this would revolutionize our church services. I'm not going to church today. I'm going to the worship service around the throne with myriads of angels, 10,000s upon 10,000. I'm going to the place where decrees are made and nations change. Oh, oh I got to go to church this morning. Oh, I'm going to the ecclesia. It's not a joke. It's transforming the way I think. Today as we're worshiping, make his praise glorious. I could see the angelic choirs exploding with it because earth beings have joined the very songs that are being sung in heaven. And when the anointing of that worship comes down, it's literally as if the very throne of God has entered our gathering. And then out of that comes the prophetic word, stretch forth your rod out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemy. The prophetic word goes forth. No longer shall the Ivy League schools be known for the leprosy on their temples, but it will be known for the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. We speak those words and they're the very words of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come on, if I went to Zion, I'd get a real understanding what Zion is. It's not a college. It's a throne room assembly where you actually ask God, give me the nations, my inheritance. Ekbalo laborers. Oh, something's changing inside of me. I'm a son of God, and I've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You haven't come to church. He said, I'm going to build my assembly. And you'll understand that this is not, thank God for the body of Christ, the family of Christ. All these things are a part of what he describes as his people. But in this context, the first place where he uses the word ecclesia is in the context of war with the gates of hell. Now, folks, we don't even think this way. But this is who you are. He says, you're going to get a revelation of who I am. I'm going to give you a revelation of who you are. And now I'm going to release a revelation of my ecclesia. Because I want business done on the earth. I want to close. I want to bind and loose. I want to shut doors to hell. I'll tell you what. We don't know who we are and the authority. Finally, I I wasn't going to give you a practical thing tonight. I'd love to do this. I'm not giving you practice because without vision, practice don't work. You can do all this, but vision gives you faith. If you believe you're a son of God that have access into the throne of God by the blood with a company of two or three, which means I was thinking they got so little places for the ecclesia to meet. So then just meet with two or three all over this city. Not to come and scratch one another's backs. Though that's part of it. If the guys do it to the guys, and you know. <laughs> but companies of two or three. See, that's what Jesus said. I'm going to build my ecclesia. And the bottom line den- denomination or the do- bottom line, the, the, the democratization of, of the ecclesia is you can do kingdom business with two or three. Just ask Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if it works in the University of Babylon. Fact is, we don't understand these things. We don't have revelation. Therefore, we never really have much faith. That's why people don't go to prayer meeting. Oh, if they knew they were the sons of God joined together with a company of the cosmic family, uniting with the head who is praying things. And God gave them dreams to tell them what to dream. they got divine intelligence. They know they're in the time. And they pray on earth as if he's praying in heaven. And earth begins to shift. Things begin to move. 
I tell you what, I believe with all my heart that God's going to shift Harvard. It was there in 2001. I began to mobilize, uh, ponder the call Boston. I was down in San Diego. I was preaching to a Korean group. And I said, God wants to dig the wells of revival in New England and shut the doors of false ideologies coming through Harvard in Boston. I didn't know it, but the, the senator of Kansas, I won't say his name because he gets in trouble every time I do. He was up in Boston, and he calls me, knowing nothing that I was saying. He says, Lou, I just got stirred here up in here in Boston. I think you're supposed to hold a call in Boston because you're supposed to dig the wells of revival in New England and shut the doors of false ideologies coming through Boston. Folks, those kinds of prophetic words give me faith. And even if it happened in 2001, 20 years is not long time in the purposes of God. You stand having done everything before the, before the, the throne. You are shifting history. Turn with me finally to Matthew, to Psalms chapter 8. And I'll end here. I wish I could go on and on, but I hope that this will begin to, I would encourage you to go to Matthew 16. It was one of the high points of New Testament theology. Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hallelujah. All your scientists of New England, all your, the guys that study the stars and whatever else they study in creation, all they can see in history is brute facts. All that they could see in the skies is natural stars. But David, standing out there in the middle of the night, gazing at the stars, realizes there's something beyond nature. There's a God who created. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. One translation, most translations say, you have set your glory in, above the heavens. I'm sure it's a great translation, but I don't know what it means. There's something of God's glory beyond the stars. But I think it's the translation that I love the best, and many believe this is the right translation. Your glory is chanted in the heavens. He's seeing the stars, and suddenly he begins to hear the angelic choirs around the throne, worshiping God, the sanctus, holy, 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 holy. That's awesome. But you think that's awesome? This is more awesome because another sound is raging. And you'll see it in the next passage. He says, you've displayed your splendor above the heavens or your glory is chanted in the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you've ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. Oh, come on. There's an enemy that is revealed that wants to silence all this glory, to set it, it rages against it. But suddenly he gets a revelation that on the earth, human beings that are nobodies join the sanctus in heaven. And when we join the praises in heaven, the ecclesia, we are shutting the mouth a pagan professor. Ideologies. Come on, doesn't anybody want to get happy? Suddenly, earth beings are joining the ecclesia. Their sound sounds pitiful, but when it's siphoned through the songs of the angels, whoa, can you imagine the worship in heaven? 
when we're going to go there on that day, all the black choirs, my God. <laughs> What's it going to be like? Well, I tell you this, we're supposed to taste it now. Out of the mouth of babes, worship is going forth. I tell you, I felt in my heart, your main weapon in this community actually is day and night worship. Silent, joining the ecclesia. He gave you an anointing. He gave, and I'm, I'm seeing the days are coming. Well, there'll be seven nights a week that they're gathering and worshiping God in the ecclesia. This is not hype, it's Bible. You have not come to Mount Zion, but you have come to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, to the ecclesia of the firstborn. We are joining the church in heaven, folks. There's no geographical distance between us. He is here. We are here. The angels are here. Oh, just rip the veil, and suddenly heaven is alive. We're bored Christians when in reality, if we could get a glimpse like this and hear the sanctus in heaven. Oh, I heard a couple of years ago in a dream, I got out of this car. I felt battered, beaten. The car was beaten. It was the story of my life. And I staggered out of the car. I looked up and I saw the angelic choir and they were singing music like I have never heard in my whole life. I began weeping. Oh, the day of the freedom of the tongue of, of the tongue of fire with the Azusa Street revival. They said we would sing the songs of the spirit and people who couldn't sing would sing like angels. They would hear the choirs in heaven. Oh, folks, this is our inheritance. We have already come to the ecclesia of heaven. We're there right now with your little two or three in that little college back room feeling like you're nobodies. Remember, that's just two or three and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Just three people worshiping God. Oh, he's caught up in this glorious grand vision. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon that you have made, what is man that they are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, that in the incarnation, Jesus Christ tipped his hat to humanity. He's visited human beings. He doesn't visit angels. He visits human beings. What do the angels do? Which of the angels did he say? Thou art my, uh, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's made us a little lower than God, crowned us with glory and honor. But we do not yet see him crowned with glory and honor. But we see Jesus who was crowned for a little while was made lower than, than God himself. But now is crowned with glory and honor. There's a human being sitting at the right hand of the Father today. There is a man seated there. And because there is a man, we are seated with him in that place. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I want to see the ecclesia arise. I end with the story that many of you know, but I'll tell it again. We came here in the early uh, 2000s with Dutch sheets, Will Ford and others. We came to Boston, came to Harvard to pray. And I remember we went into the Harvard Chapel and we felt so distracted and warfare all, all around us. We left feeling like we didn't break through. That night Dutch said, Lou, I don't feel like we break through, broke through at Harvard. I think we need to pray. I think we do need to do a night strike. So we go and do a night strike, but we don't know where Harvard is because Harvard is everywhere around here. We got lost. We saw st students here and there and, you know, restaurants. We finally 
see this dark alley and said, well, maybe, maybe we're close enough to Harvard. Let's, let's just pull in here and pray. We pull in to this dark alley and there's a gate there. And you can hardly see there's the lights on these three big buildings. And we're thinking, well, maybe this is Harvard. We go in there. I go to one building. Dutch goes to another building. He's sitting there, standing there. We're standing there. I can hardly see him. He says, Lou, this is the place. This is the place. I run over to where he is, and he says, Lou, I wrote about the Emerson building of philosophy in my book. This is the place I wrote about in my book. The story is that on that philosophy building, there was a man named Elliot who actually wanted to put on the t- head front of that philosophy building, the new building. Man is the measure of all things. But the president of the university actually put up scaffolding and, and, and uh, what do you call it, a tarp around it. And these guys went to chipping away. And when they pulled it down, what was engraved is what is there today. Man is the measure. Not man is the measure of all. What is man that thou art mindful when I saw that, we went, what are the chances getting lost in the middle of the night and stumbling onto the place what he wrote about in a book? I tell you, the day comes when man is the measure of all things, crumbles to what is man that thou art mindful of him, to the Christ, to his ecclesia. We're putting Christ and the ecclesia back into Massachusetts, back into New England. Christ is the ruler. The ecclesia rules with him, and in worship, and in prayer, a green prayer, we shake thrones and iniquities. Sometimes we don't see it all in this age, but in the age to come, but until then, we are challenging gates of hell everywhere. We are believing for the greatest awakening in the history of America. And today I come and put my feet back here in Harvard to declaring that God wants to redig the wells of revival in New England and shut the door of false ideologies. That will not happen by some kind of political endeavor. It will happen by a flame of tongue of fire where people start just getting radically converted. Stand with me. Can we do that song, Make His Praise Glorious? When we were singing that today, I felt as if God, I felt as if we were in the sanctus in heaven. Come on, lift your hands and see it. He says, your glory, can you see it? From here on out, you're not going to church. You're going to the assembly. Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Call a fast. Gather a sacred assembly. The translation of assembly in the Septuagint Greek Old Testament is ecclesia. Gather. He's saying, oh, gather together to fast and pray. And it's an ecclesia. The gathering of his church around the throne is an ecclesia. Can you lift your hands? Can you hear? Holy, holy, today, You're not trying to get there. You already are there. Myriads of angels are here. Ten thousands upon ten thousands. One, like the Son of Man, is receiving the kingdom and dominion. Oh, let's worship him.
All the singers and musicians of Hilltop and J-Hop, I want you to come forward. All the worship leaders, the singers, the musicians, J-Hop and Hilltop, come forward. From this day forward, I declare to you that you will never think of yourself as doing a lousy set because you've joined the ecclesia of heaven. Oh, hallelujah. You will never think anymore there's just a few people here because all he needs is two in the throne room of heaven and you are a choir leader in the ecclesia of heaven. Come on. Father, I pray for a shift of mind and heart. Today, these are not good singers. They're not good musicians. They are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood making God's praise glorious. Father, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit in a new dimension of song, of music, of prophetic revelation. Loose dreams and visions of songs to be sung. Give them the songs that are being sung in the heavens this day. Bring them through the veil. Let the veil be thin. Give them encounters by the Holy Spirit. God chose you for such a time as this to stand with the foes and the avengers to the truth of Christ Jesus, to sing the song, to silence the foe and the avenger. You are going to make his praise glorious. Father, release an abandonment of passion, an abandonment of vision, that no matter what it seems like, I am going to worship God. Now I want to speak to you, and I want to speak to all of you. The Bible says this, that through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, we reign in life. Hallelujah. Rulership comes not by trying harder, not by chop, stop trying to stop sitting, but receive the abundant, the abundance of grace right now. Father, I pray condemnation, accusation of the priest, God, like Joshua, the high priest. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? The Lord rebuke you, Satan, every accusation. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. He said, put clean garments today. I want you to receive the free gift of righteousness. Every one of us, the free gift, forget accusation. Clothe yourself now in the free gift of righteousness. I declare that heaviness is being cast off of you. Depression is being broken off of you. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are clothed in righteousness. It fits you. That garment fits you perfectly. It's a free gift. You could never earn it, and you shall never earn it. Come on. All of us begin to put on that garment. Even put it on like you're putting on a garment now. You are the righteousness of Christ.
You are the royal priesthood. And I want we're going to sing this song one more time. Make his praise glorious. I want you to enter into my experience. There have been terrorists, so to speak, lying to you. They've terrorized your minds for years. They've told you things, the curses of the past. You can't be forgiven. You did too much. I want to declare the last war of Revelation 12 will be done. It will be to throw down the accuser. Come on. That is the battle. And a throne room company caught up into heaven will war with the devil and his angels. And the accuser of the brethren will be thrown down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony. It's time to testify what the blood says is true about you. You, sister, are the righteousness of Christ. Beautified in his glory. Son, you are the righteousness of Christ. I begin to praise God to break the power of the accuser. Would you lift your voices? And when you sing this, I want you to see the accuser driven from you. Hold on one more time. We're going to do that. But I just were reminded during the 40 days fasting, a girl was on 35 days of water fasting. We were praying for Iran. She had a dream. And a Middle Eastern terrorist appeared to her in the dream and says, if you keep doing what you're doing, fasting and worshiping God, he says, I will kill you. And in the dream, she said, there's a blood better than my blood. And in the dream, this demonic man began, Wah! and flying away like in centrifugal whatever force. I want to tell you there's power in our praise to silence the foe. The blood of Jesus makes you righteous. Come on, let's sing it. Let's sing his praise and silence the foe and the avenger. Make his praise glorious. Make his praise Come on. glorious. 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 For his name is glorious.
just received a report. There's a place on MIT that's doing a lot of witchcraft and stuff. And a young man committed suicide last night. And today at MIT, students are gathering to pray. I tell you what, can we just lift our voices and begin to ask God, the ecclesia rises and say, use this for an awakening on MIT. Lift your hands and lift your voices. We stretch out the rod out of the assembly of worship. We command awakening, awakening over MIT gods, over those in witchcraft. Break the power of death. The gates of Hades will not prevail. We bind the powers of hell. We loose light awakening in Jesus' name, God. God, we just ask right now over MIT, begin a loose life, God. We stretch forth a awakening rod over MIT, God. We ask the Lord, a great light has shined upon those in darkness. We declare a great light over MIT, awakening in Jesus' name. Orias, glory.
God, we ask, Father, over our entire community, Father, that as we begin this 40 days of prayer and fasting, God, we ask that it would be 40 days of encounter. God, we say, open the eyes of our heart to behold the beauty of holiness. God, I ask that you capture our vision with a vision of your glory, with a vision of your majesty, a vision of your beauty. Lord, I thank you for a hunger and an aching and a longing for you that supersedes every other desire. God, we say capture our vision, capture our appetites. And God, we ask as a community, Lord, that you would truly bring us, Lord, into the throne room of heaven during these 40 days. Lord, that we would encounter you. And Lord, we ask for the living reality, Lord, of us as a community living as the ecclesia, the ruling body in the earth, Father. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the release of governmental authority. God, I ask for every heart in this place, Lord, that all that we have heard today, Father, that you would find us with a heart of response. Lord, that we would respond to your word. Lord, I ask, Lord, even now, Father, that you would speak to hearts, Lord, specific postures to take over the course of these next 40 days. There's some of you here that have already committed to going into this 40-day season with us. There's already things that you've signed on in your heart. But I want to encourage you, if you're here today, even if you didn't know about the 40 days, I just want to say you've heard an invitation today. You've received vision of the blueprint that God has given us of what the church, the ecclesia is to be. And I want to encourage you that you would receive the invitation and that you would respond. Whether it's a, a portion of fasting, food, or even if there's a place, I want to say it's powerful in the area of our time to consecrate our time to the Lord. To shut off issues of social media and entertainment. Give him your attention for 40 days. In a focused way, in a consecrated way. Saying my eyes are upon you and my heart is inclined to hear your voice. And see what happens. So we start today March 1st through April 9th. And I just want to encourage our community Find a prayer set to lock yourself into. Be in corporate worship and prayer. It will strengthen you. And on a very practical note, we are going to take an offering for Papalu who came here. For those of you that may not know, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that he is, him and Therese are the father and mother of this house. That really that their vision and their message is what has set our course. It is what has given us direction and identity. And what he spoke today is honestly the only reason why we are here. If you're a part of this church, you have heard the language of ecclesia. I've never preached it or can preach it the way he does. <laughs> so you've heard it with much, much more clarity and strength. But it is why we are planted here. And so as a community of people, we want Lou leaving here with an abundance of outpouring an abundance of blessing. We want to sow back in for all that he has sown into us. We are here because he has planted us here as the father of this house. And so we want to leave, have him leave New England with blessing. So I, there's baskets here in the front.